Hi, my name is Margaret, and you have ventured your way into the beautiful Collision Podcast. I believe when the good and amazing, great parts of your life collide with the bad, messy, and hard parts of your life, they make you into the beautiful and amazing person that you are. On this podcast, you're going to hear stories of people from all walks of life, faiths, cultures, and backgrounds, and my hope is that you resonate with some and embrace your own story. What's up, y'all? Okay, we are back again at the Beautiful Collision Podcast, and I'm so glad you're here listening again. You truly are the best. Um, Okay, so today's conversation is with Danielle Clark. She's awesome. We get to talk about med school because she is in med school right now and about to be going to residency. We also get to talk about her childhood and bullying in her childhood and how kind of she walked through that and what that looked like for her, as well as Dallas versus Houston, go Houston. And then also we get to talk about her faith a lot and just really how that has characterized her college years and kind of the difference between then and now. And so I'm so excited for this conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy talking to her. Hey everybody. Um, I'm excited you're here. Um, today my guest is Danielle Clark. She's great. I met her about a year ago. I me back to Houston, so I am so excited for you to hear from her. So, Danielle, say hey. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, she's going to introduce herself and tell us about her awesome smart life. Hi, <laughs> everyone. Uh, my name's Danielle Clark. I am a fourth-year medical student studying here in Houston. That's where I met Margaret. Uh, I grew up, in, well, I was born in Raleigh, North Carolina, and lived in Durham for a couple years, and then I moved to Dallas-Fort Worth, Plano, Texas. And I grew up there, went to college at TCU, and then after that came here to start medical school, and then I ended up meeting Margaret at church. So you have been bopping around. You've yes. bopped around a lot. Um, and we have a connection because I went to school in North Carolina, and oh, yeah. she's from the North Carolina area, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But she has a different perspective on it because, like... The only reason I ever go to North Carolina is to see my elderly family members. Me, right. North Carolina is this boring place with old people. <laughs> and I'm and like, so... <laughs> I'm like completely different because I went to North Carolina for college and I just think of young, <laughs> fun, college scene. Like the word Durham just, sa- like Durham just sounds old to me. That's so <laughs> because weird. Because I remember one time, I think I saw one of your friends like post something of you guys or something one of your friends posted back in North Carolina and they were all out at a bar and they were like downtown Durham <laughs> and you can't understand like I laughed so hard when I heard that I was like that place is not happening what are you talking about so basically we need to go back to North Carolina when you were an adult actually yes because one of my best friends from college now lives in Winston-Salem and so that one is already weird yeah that he like lives in a old people state in my opinion <laughs> that's so funny but now yes we you, we have to come back and then you have to meet andrew who lives in winston-salem and then we have to hang out and then y'all have to show me what it's like to be a young person in that state that is something we will yes. do um okay so you said you're a med student which to me i'm like all hail med students y'all are geniuses and because y'all stay in school forever um <laughs> so 
have you always wanted to be a med student? I mean, I feel like that's the thing when you're in high school, everyone's like... Everyone says it. I want to be a doctor. Uh-huh. And then half the people don't actually do it. Mm-hmm. But you actually did it, so that's yeah. great. You know, so I would... Initially, I would have answered the question like, yes, I've always wanted to be a doctor. But what's funny is my parents gave me a journal to write in when I was like... It was like a elementary school journal where like you have these big... like write-ins for every grade yeah and I remember the first write-in where I asked like what did you want to be when I was like first or second grade I actually wrote either a writer or a flutist because I was I knew I was about to learn how to start playing the flute and I really liked writing and so apparently that's what I really wanted to do when I was be a, a flutist yeah that's what I, I played flute for like from sixth grade through I mean I guess I technically still play it but like sixth grade through I played it through senior year of college actually yeah um but I guess that was technically the original one but by, like, 7th or 8th grade was the first time I remember verbalizing to somebody, like, I want to be a doctor. Um, and it just, it's, it sounds weird, but it is one of those things that just kept going. Because, <laughs> like you said, a lot of kids start off saying, like, yeah, I want to be a doctor. I started no off one, saying that. Right, and no one's parents tell them not to. And just like my parents didn't tell me to stop, you know. Um, and that's kind of, like, one of the fortunate things about me, like, being passionate about a field, like, being a physician is I never had to deal with things like my friends who wanted to be dancers had to deal with where like their parents are trying to stop them at every turn my parents are like sure do it <laughs> I know because most people are like doctor money exactly you know exactly. my child can take care of me I actually wanted to be a doctor for maybe 30 seconds um but then I started taking sciences and I was like this is <laughs> this is not happening and I was like I just don't like school enough to be in school forever you know it's funny I have this weird attraction to things that are hard and so I was, overall, like, I'd been a pretty good student most of my life. I had a couple years where I really struggled in, like, middle school, high school. But the first class I got a B in was actually biology. And I couldn't get an A in it the whole year. Like, because we do six-week things. And every single time I'd get, like, an 87 or an 89 or something. And I guess for some reason that, like, made me upset so much that I had to keep going. Um, and what's funny is even through undergrad, like, that trend stayed. All my A's were, like, in everything else except biology. Biology has always been that thing that I could never really be super good at. Yeah. And so I just, like, I guess it kept me going because I knew it was challenging for me. Well, that's good because a lot of people, things that are difficult and hard, they usually run ar- run away from or go the opposite way. So the fact that you see challenging things and dive into them is very impressive. Well, thank you. So, okay, so then speaking on that, do you think that that has helped you grow as a person maybe a lot better than some of your peers around you because you like to jump into the challenge? Or And do you see that in every aspect of your life? Like, do you like to dive into the scary things? <laughs> What's funny is that, like, I would say that's the only time in my life where I could say, like, yeah. I, was, I was bad at something and so I kept pushing at it. Usually, I don't know, like... I do tend, like, I tend to do the opposite. I really tend to in most things, like, honestly, like, even in picking the things I do at church, I only pick things that I already think I'm going to be good at and then just, like, go with that. I don't know why with school, with school, biology ended up being that thing, but I guess part of it, that kept me going, even though that's not really my usual, yeah, like, I guess, method, is I built really good relationships with the teachers. Like, those teachers were amazing to me and yeah. built such good relationships with me. Um, so that it made me like, want to keep going. So when you have a support system, yeah. it's a lot easier. I learned that I, I'm an approval. Um, what's the right word? I, I like approval a lot, especially <laughs> from authority figures. Which so is does like, everyone. Yeah, especially, like, I love, like, I think growing up, one, one thing I always noticed that was different from me than me um, in high school from the other students was there are some students who just, like, 
didn't care about their teacher liking them. I really wanted the teacher to like me. Yeah, that was not um, me. And so if I was in a situation where, like, I felt like the teacher really wanted me to succeed and would be sad if I didn't, I would keep going. Yeah. Um, and that's what I had, I think, a lot in, in, in my biology classes and whatnot, is a lot of people behind me. I even noticed that when I was in, like, playing the flute, I excelled really, really well when I had a teacher named Mrs. Mitchell in middle school who just really invested in me. She actually, like, there was a period of time in middle school where my dad lost his job yeah. for, like, 18 months. And so she, like, noticed the fact that I was really good at it. And she recommended that I take private lessons. And my parents were like, we can't pay for that. And so she paid for them. Like, we didn't tell anybody wow. else. But my, like, band teacher paid for my lesson. <laughs> That's crazy. Because she believed in me so much. And I definitely feel like as I got through, I mean, one, I knew my career path wasn't going to be a flutist, as I thought in the second grade. <laughs> a flutist. <laughs> but... Um, Not clowning on any flutist no, out there. No, no, just... but that, that was, I don't know where that came from. Um, but I definitely noticed that, like, my dedication towards it definitely waned after I didn't have that relationship with a teacher anymore. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's true. A support system, just for anything, is always just helpful because you feel like, okay, mm-hmm. you have someone that's in your corner encouraging you all the time, yeah. and so you can just, I don't know. But anyways... I mean, med school girl, I'm rooting for you over here. Thank you. I will be. And she's about to be uh, interviewing for... I know, for pediatrics. Pediatrics yeah. mm-hmm. residency, like, this year. So all of y'all can be cheering on Danielle. Yes. And she's awesome. And she's good with the kiddos. So <laughs> we all need to be rooting for her. Um, okay, so you said you were born in North Carolina. Yes. And you moved to Dallas when you were when? Two. Mm-hmm. Two yeah. years old. So basically, you like grew up in Dallas. Yeah. And now you live in Houston, and usually Dallas people are Houston people. <laughs> Which, that's a hilarious story. So, like, this kind of confirms the, the, the thoughts everyone has about Dallas. But, like, growing up in Dallas, you have no concept that the whole world hates you. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> okay, maybe it's just like, Houston. I don't know if it's the world. No, Fort Worth hates us, too. Like, ever. <laughs> Most places in Texas, if you leave Dallas, they will tell you they hate Dallas. It's like the common hate. And I didn't know that growing up in Dallas. And then I went to TCU, which is in Fort Worth, for college. And that was the first time I encountered, like, people who were like, Dallas is horrible. And I was like, what? I didn't know this was I'm from there. And then I moved to Houston and encountered the exact same thing. And I was like, are you serious? Everyone hates it. Okay, so do you love Dallas or do you love Houston? Let me not <laughs> get, get you in trouble you know, on the podcast. You know, like... I've gone there more recently, and it's kind of the same thing where, like, because I did, like you've talked about, I grew up in a suburb, so, like, I didn't actually grow up in the center of Dallas. Um, I I feel like for this stage of my life, I'm very happy in Houston. I actually don't really foresee myself, like, moving back to DFW. I mean, I don't know where life's going to take me. I'm yeah. not that. But, like, foreseeably, I love Houston, and I love Dallas as my home. Like, yeah. I'm so glad I get to go back there and experience it, but I feel like Houston's kind of my home now, so. And that good old Houston heat. It's still hot in Dallas, it's just different. It's not as humid. <laughs> yeah. So, like, being, like, because I was in marching band in high school, and marching band from 4 to 6 p.m. in the summer is, like, hot on, on an asphalt Yeah, um, that's pavement. true. Um, so, it's, like, I'm used to the heat. It's just, like, so humid. Oh. No, girl. Like, whenever I drive up to Dallas and get out of the car, I'm always shocked at, like, how much, how easy it is to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I can now breathe. Like, my nostrils just, like, open up really intensely. It's it's odd. Yeah. Um, so, I know your whole, I mean, well, really, med school is your entire life right now, but what are some other things that you are passionate about, or what are some other things that you, like, that you get excited about outside of med school? Because I know that that can be really consuming, yeah. so I'm sure you have to have... 
other hobbies to help you? I mean, primarily, so I have a part-time job or during the school year, so I have to restart it again this semester. I have a part-time job at a children's museum called the Health Museum, and so okay. it's a medical science museum for kids. Um, and so it's like sort of med school related because I get to use a lot of my knowledge there, but it's with kids. It's super fun. Um, and I get to like learn how to teach. They let me like create curriculum while I'm there. And so I like being able, overall, I just really like feeling like I can give back to the community in a way. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. One thing I haven't, like one passion I haven't fostered in a while that I want to or need to get back on is ballroom dancing. Cause like I grew up like doing ballet when I was a kid, but then I stopped maybe like late middle school, early high school because I started when I was like two or three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like in college, I just took like random like non major dance classes, yeah. kind of wherever I wanted to. And then my senior year was the first time I'd taken a ballroom dancing class, and I just loved it. Um, That's so cool. I learned Latin and swing in that class. And actually, there was a friend named Mark that I had at the beginning of med school. We're still friends, I should say. <laughs> Mark, she's still friends still with friends. you. Um, <laughs> Y'all are not enemies. But back when he was still, he's actually doing like a year off to do research. But back when he was in med school with me, he also I found out he also was really into salsa dancing. And so we would actually go out to Gloria's and other salsa clubs in the Houston area and go try it out. And I actually, I got one of my friends into swing dancing at med school and I found out she's like competing as a swing dancer now. Like I was the first person to teach her how to swing dance. So I was really excited. Um, But since clinics have started, I haven't been able to like foster that as much anymore. But that's just something that you love. Yeah. That are super. It's like when like a lot of my friends, including you, like y'all love working out so much. It's such a stress relief. (laughs) Working out for the purpose of working out is just like the most strenuous thing in the world. But (laughs) dancing, I can do that forever. Like, I don't care how tired, like, I get what you let feel, and we're like, I don't care how tired I am, I still want to dance, and I'll be sad when I have to sit down, Yeah, type of thing, so. And dancing's one of those things, you just, I don't know, you, you just feel, like, it feels good that you're doing it. Yeah. You know, I guess working out, I mean, I think working out feels good when you're doing it, yeah, but I, I think, I guess all people, <laughs> it's not, you know, really that same thing. Um, um, and so, uh, kind of your background going on, let's talk about your family a little bit. Um, so how many siblings do you have? I have one little brother who okay. is 19, I believe. Okay. I funny, but yeah. 19, you I believe? Think, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, in, are your parents doctors? What are your parents doing? No. Um, so my, I, mom and dad, and, yeah. uh, my dad works for AT&T as an interconnect engineer. Yeah. And he's explained to me a million times what that means. Yeah. And I don't know. Um, but ultimately, like, within AT&T, you have kind of, like, the business side of things and the technical sides, and he's on the technical sides. Mm. The way he describes it is there are four of him, like, four people who have his job in the whole state of Texas, and two of them are for North Texas and two of them are for South Texas, and their, like, job is to predict, like, cell phone traffic and adjust it before, bad, before yeah. like, things happen, like football games oh, or gotcha. natural disasters yeah. and stuff, so that people's cell phones don't yeah. stop. And your mom. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he does. My mom, so growing up, she um, she stayed at home with us. Yeah. And then now she runs, like, a, a business, basically a publishing business, primarily for, like, religious texts and other, um, wow. just, like, her, she kind of focuses on, like, first-time authors or yeah. newly starting authors to, one, kind of educate them on the publishing industry, but also, like, get them in contact with all of the printers and the binders and all the people they need in order to start their first book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you, did you grow up in, I mean, and this is different for all people, but do you feel like, did you grow up in a very, um, kind of, like, 
successful driven household like this is, this is what you need to be this is the kind of thing you need to do so it's I mean I feel like I always just was more of a driven kid mm-hmm. just like baseline so my parents talk about it like very rarely did they have to like push me to like succeed mm-hmm. at things however I did grow up in a very structured household right and I definitely grew up in a household where like my parents always told me they expected me to flourish and expected me to like be successful and whatnot but I never felt like they were like if you don't become a doctor then you're like a failure but I definitely had those ideals of like you should expect to be successful like in my mind yeah Uh, but ultimately the most defining part about my household was very strict do you feel like you had a lot of pressure basically because you you had lived grew up in such a strict household or sort of I mean I knew I had a very I kind of a good balance of like I had the very I like both the very loving and punitive parents like kind of like I knew like what my expectations were however like if I got a bad grade or something I knew like the end of the world wasn't gonna happen type of thing um but I knew that if my grades did start slipping or I was going in a bad direction it would get noticed and like discussed and inquired on very quickly Mm -hmm. um I don't know if it like it's hard to explain like I don't know if I really felt pressure as much as honestly I grew up in a city like Plano is just a very um cutthroat like school school system when it comes to just academics everyone wants to have a 4.0 and like that's just kind of the social pressure and so the pressure I felt was actually more from school and the other kids that were just so smart relative to me yeah than like my parents specifically being Mm -hmm. like no you have to achieve yeah so do you feel like because of even those pressures from kids from school that that became kind of an identity thing for you of focusing like this is me this is what I have to do um, to be Danielle, to be, you know, who Dan- who Danielle is. Like, this is my purpose type thing. Yeah, in a way. But I always, I always was the type of kid who'd say that, like, well, that's the other kids, and I'm not quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> the whole, like, well, that's just them, and I'm not like them. And it's like, of course, I'm going to, like, take in some of those traits and whatnot. But... I definitely, there was definitely periods in my life where I was like, oh my gosh, this is like who, this is what I need to do. Sometimes it still didn't translate to me working as hard as I should have, but it definitely felt like if I did fail at something, then it was terrible. Then yeah. It was just like heartbreaking because I didn't know like what that meant for who I was. Yeah. Um, but I think that was more influenced by like my school pressures or my school like environment than it was at home like I knew like I could have failed out everything and my parents yeah. would have still like loved me they would have told me something was wrong <laughs> yeah but they like I never worried that like their support of me or love of me was in any way associated yeah. with that yeah and I only ask that because I think these um day I mean my, maybe not just these days but in general um there's this society pressure to be a certain thing and sometimes it can come from parents sometimes it can come from kids and yeah. just finding identity is so hard um and then when you do find what your identity is in so many different situations it can get suppressed or Mm -hmm. made fun of or looked down upon or judged yeah and so I was just curious if you had ever felt that in your life just where you felt like your your identity as a person was questioned or you felt I don't want to say bullied, but kind of. <laughs> oh, I was bullied a lot, actually, in middle school. Um, so growing up, like, I was a really, really, like, super outgoing, super extroverted, bubbly kid who could never shut up ever. Like, oh <laughs> That's my how I was. I was always in trouble. And from my parents' perspective, they began to notice, like, I just changed a lot. Like, 
suddenly, like, once middle school hit, I just kind of suddenly became, like, much more reserved and much quieter. And I remember my mom, like, kind of being really sad and asking me, like, what happened to her daughter. Because I was, like, in, like, a theater program and was super outgoing and stuff. Um, but what really happened was a lot of kids at school made fun of me and told me I was, like, too silly or too playful. And, like, I acted like a child and I needed to mm-hmm. fix that. Um, and so, like, when middle school hit... Um, I had a good number of friends coming in, but I was never, like, the cool kid. Like, my little brother was super cool for some reason. He always had friends over and all that, and I just never did. I was just not that kid. Um, but then I had a really good friend, I think a best friend named Haley in middle school, that I spent most of my time with. And then either in 7th or 8th grade, I think, um, she moved because her mom got married. Um, and so, like, I lost my closest friend. And then I just, I never really got along with the other kids. Um, I was right, okay, so wait, are you introverted? Yeah, now, but now. I was not then. Okay. Uh-uh. And kids would make fun of me because I was I would talk too much, and guys would say, like, I played around too much, and I acted like a child, and I needed to just, like, oh, calm down. Oh, that's crazy. I hate And I, like, would it was terrible. And it got to the point where, like, I would go to the school cafeteria and sit down in different places, and kids would tell me to leave. And it, I start. I was that kid who sat wow. alone in a, in a teacher's room for a whole year during lunch. Wow. Um, and then one time the teacher made fun of me and was like, so you're that girl that no one, like, wants to hang out with. What? Um, yeah, that was terrible. And do you think, so do you think those instances, which is crazy, and I'm sorry you had to go through that, push is what, like, shifted you to become a little bit more introverted than oh, you are yeah. now? Oh, yeah. Because basically, I was just being told that, like, no one would take me seriously if I talked as much as I did. And so, like, and plus I got made fun of because, like, there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of students there who felt like my, like, race did not match up with the way that I talked and the way I acted or my, like, desires for school and stuff. That's so stupid. Because, like, I'm African American and apparently, like, I was always the only black kid in the AP courses or in the honors courses and stuff. And so, in addition to the fact that, like, I just didn't have friends... Um, the, like, black students would make fun of me a lot and tell me that I wasn't black enough or I was an Oreo or I was trying to be white, and so I got rejected from them a lot, too. So it was, like, uh, you felt, so, like, rejection from both yeah, sides. Yeah, because I couldn't fit in in really any avenue. Um, and so, yeah, like, that whole year, like, I did not, like, enter the cafeteria because kids would just tell me, like, to get out. And so, Wow. Mm-hmm. How did that... I mean, obviously, you shared a lot, but, like, internally, like, what did that do to you internally in that year? Like what? Like what were the feelings you felt? Um, I, I think I had <laughs> never Zanga. If you yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I think that was in middle school, and I became like super like emo type. Like I, like I'm pretty sure I went a whole year where like I wore like all black all the time, and I don't know. Like I just kind of became like sufficient with just myself, I guess, because like I, I didn't really have like new friends until ninth grade like it was funny because I went through this period of time where I was just really really sad and um just felt really alone and I didn't really like understand why this stuff was like going on or why it was happening to me yeah because you were so young yeah um and like that's I think where my like I guess drive to always um get approval from like authority figures came from because those were the only people who were nice to me or thought that I was like doing well was like my band teacher, my English teacher, yeah. or my math teacher, they were the only people who, like, gave me any approval at all because the kids just didn't, and they were so, yeah. so mean. Um, what actually, like, one, what helped me get out of that was, one, honestly, when I got to ninth grade, I became friends with a lot of kids from other middle schools who didn't know me as well, and then everything kind of just yeah. started to rise in that regard. But also, my little brother went through the exact same thing at the same middle school. Um, yeah. Like, the same pressures that I did. 
um, he actually ended up needing to like talk to somebody about like wow. the issues that he was going through because it was just a very toxic environment. Yeah. So. so what would you say? And this is like a pause moment, but you know, what would you say to the kid in your situation now that's going through that? Like, what would you say to them when they feel like I I just I can't do this anymore? And this is really hard for someone that went through that. What would you say to them? I'd say, like, there will be a time when literally, like, every interaction you're having in that moment is not going to matter. At that moment, it felt like that was the end of the world. That, like, the way these people thought about me or what they said about me was just going to go on forever. Right. Um, And now it doesn't at all. Like, what... What's his face said to me in Spanish class in seventh grade literally has no effect on like right. what my life's going on right now, and right. I couldn't see that at the time. And I guess in some ways, actually, I could a little bit. I think I did see things in that way a little better than other kids because my parents definitely instilled that in me—the idea right. of like you're working towards adulthood; it's not going to last forever. But I think one of the most dangerous aspects is when kids are not confronted with that idea, where they really believe that like this is going to define them, um, and just remembering that like whatever like one it's an identity thing you're it's okay to not know who you are I think yeah especially other, in like, middle school it's like, I mean, I was like in the seventh grade and I'm literally like I remember thinking to myself one way I would cope is that I noticed all these kids had like clicks like clips some kids were emo and some kids were goth and some yeah. kids were prep and scene and all of these different like punk derivatives and stuff and I would like look them up online and try to figure out what I was because I was like I, I don't know wow what I am and like where I fit in and yeah. it's like one, you aren't supposed to know that when you're in the seventh grade. No, you're what? <laughs> you're going Maybe to change 12? <laughs> in like a year and a half anyway. <laughs> in all aspects of the word, change physically, change yeah. emotionally, change yeah. mentally. Um, so that's one aspect. I also got made fun of a lot because like I was like definitely back then like even like I I grew taller than everybody else and like <laughs> puberty just happened earlier for me. Yeah. But I also was like a much like a pretty large girl where like I told my mom randomly like hey I want to be a cheerleader and she was like sure and at my school in middle school you just pay money yeah like it's not a big deal um and as soon as like I told someone at school these like group of guys were like you know you're really big like you, you shouldn't do that like oh and I'm gosh. in the eighth grade that's awful and like eight, I'm like you're in the eighth grade you should have never had to be like self-conscious about like what your body looks like when you're 13 years old yeah like there is no point in that and so let's remember like Every interaction you're having, once you turn 18, girl, it's it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. And it, it doesn't. doesn't. And it doesn't matter then, but I know it's just so hard because it's... Yeah, because that's the thing. Everyone tells you that. Every, every school counselor, every parent tells you it, and it just doesn't hit. You know, they're yeah. like, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. Uh, it shouldn't matter right now, but, like, to you, it does. Like, it really does, and, like, eight hours a day, it does. Yeah. Um, but it's, for me, what got me through or, like ended up mattering was the fact that like when I turned 18 and got to college I was like wow none of that matters yeah (laughs) it it doesn't and thank you so much for sharing that because I think that could just be so I mean I don't know if middle schoolers are listening to this but just in general just hearing that part of your story and knowing that I mean honestly by God's grace you know it didn't end up worse because you hear so many situations where people are bullied like that and it ends up really badly yeah on the end of the person receiving the bullying so I'm just so thankful that you were I mean you had parents and a support system that really like pushed you out of that um okay so I know that for you um faith is really important to you yeah um and it characterizes a lot of your life pretty much every aspect of your life Mm -hmm. um so 
tell me, was that, has that always been the case in your whole life or is that something that is new and um, how did that kind of come together in your life? It was forcibly a part of my life my whole life. Yeah. Um, so my mom has a doctorate in religious philosophy and my father is just like very interested in theology. Um, so you just grew up for a while. I grew up yeah. in a very like religiously focused home. Um, in every aspect of the word, like, oh my gosh, it was like, there were so many rules that I had, that other kids had. And it was interesting growing up because like in America, everyone says they're Christian. And so when I would ex- explain to kids like, oh, I can't do that or I can't go there because I'm a Christian. And then they'd be like, but I'm a Christian too. And then it's like, yeah, but this is a little different. <laughs> like, my parents are a little more intense. Um, but my parents are intense. <laughs> and um, so it's kind of forced on me when I was a kid and I did not like it. Like there were periods where um, maybe in elementary school, the beginning of middle school, I was like genuinely like interested in it and enjoyed it. But, high but usually once I hit middle school and high school, I was just like so done. Um, Cause actually a lot of the issues I was having in middle school at the time, I was also kind of having at church too, where like kids just didn't like, it. I was just a really awkward kid. <laughs> hey, kids middle school like is me. awkward for everyone. And so anyone that doesn't believe yeah. middle school is not oh, awkward is lying. so bad. And so it was just, it was awkward. And I went to a very, very, very large church. So like the youth church was probably like 4,000 kids. And at that level, it just, not that all mega churches are like this. I'm the first person who will not like just judge any church that's large and say that they're like wrong. Like I totally understand that. Like there are lots of yeah. God fearing people who go to mega churches, but I felt like the way it was done, it was just like another high school, honestly. Like it was a high school that we were only spending one day a week at. And so the church sanctuary was like the school cafeteria where like you had your places that you sat and you only hung out with like your cliques and stuff. And I did kind of have a clique there, but I just, I didn't bond. And for me, church was not like a religious experience at all. It wasn't about Christ. It wasn't about the gospel. It was about fitting in with these kids. Yeah. And so when that didn't happen for you, and it's funny, my brother, me and my brother are like two pieces in a pod. The exact same thing happened to him. Um, when I was 15, I think I decided like, you know what? I'm still, like, not into this. I'm kind of frustrated by all the rules that I have, and I'm really bitter about, like, why my life is so different, but I'm going to give it a shot. So when I am when I was 15, I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to grow at this church, Mom and Dad, but I started going to church with another friend who lived in Plano that went to an, a small church close by. So I went from, like, a 30,000-person church to a 50-person church. Um, and then I ended up having, like, some issues there, like, fitting in with the crowd there, too. Like, overall, they were really welcoming, um, but even by the end of it, just my own bitterness, like, and I, I can't like blame anyone other than myself. Like literally it was just my own bitterness and my own like decision that like, I didn't want to like submit to authority. And I wanted to define myself as like my own free person, even though I had I mean, great relationships there overall. As soon as I left when I was 18, I was just like done. Like when I turned 18 and went to college that first day, I was like, I'm not going... I made a conscious decision. Like, I'm not going to church anymore. Um, like, I'm over this. Yeah, it's just like, there's no, like, push. And even during that first year of college, I my mom and my aunt, like, calling me and be like, hey, have you gone to church yet? And I was like, um... Yeah, sort of. <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, and so I went through this period where, like, I decided, like, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to find value in relationships and dating. I'm going to find value in um, my schoolwork and whatnot. And for a while, like, I think a lot of people 
falsely talk about the period before they knew like Christ as like terrible all the time and I was like no I would not say that I was miserable for the first like two and a half years of college like you it was was, kind of enjoyable exactly like I liked it I had these periods where I was like completely intoxicated with myself because I thought I was awesome I was like this guy likes me I'm doing really well in school I have all of these groups that I'm a part of and like I had a great group of friends at that point And so I was like, I don't need anything else. I I actually was super hippie at the time and created this thing called the six cardinal values of Danielle. And I like... What? (laughs) I was really... I was super hippie. It was ridiculous. I had like feathers and dream catchers in my room for a little bit there. And then I think my sophomore year, I made these like posters of like the six cardinal virtues of Danielle. And it was... I I remember it was P-L-H-T-A-R. It was peace, love, harmony, tolerance, acceptance, and respect. And I had like... I made these canvases of them and put them all over my room. So I was like, I don't need religion. I can just, like, talk about the things that I, like, and just like. Yeah. <laughs> and so what... And discover myself. Um, um, and so what... So you had all these... You went to college and decided, I'm doing Danielle. Like, I'm going to do me. And I'm going to do what I want. And I'm going to have my own kind of rules and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I, what was the point where, for you, it just wasn't that wasn't really working anymore because like you said it wasn't that you were absolutely miserable and some and you were enjoying life Mm -hmm. but what was the different like what is the difference that just the average you enjoying life Mm -hmm. when did that turn it was there were little slow bits and now like that I've accepted my faith in Christ and really run in that I feel like now I can identify it as like the Holy Spirit really working on me but at the time I would have just said like my conscience or something yeah um there were little isolated points and then like big events so like some of the isolated points of like um I really like did not like 100% was angry at the idea of like sexual purity I was like no sexuality is mine it's the way I'm going to develop and so I'm going to cultivate it in my own way and blah 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 and then it first year of college or the first time I had a pregnancy scare and that will yeah <laughs> that will scare the living daylights out of you especially like I was still the kid who wanted me to become a doctor yeah um and so literally thinking my period hasn't come in four days and my period is never late yeah. um and then your whole life starts flashing before your eyes right. like all because I decided to like have sex with a guy like all because of that yeah um and it was <laughs> the lord because I Literally, I remember the day that I was like, you know what, it is day four, I need to go get a pregnancy test. And on the way there, I stopped by the bathroom, my period came. And I was like, ugh. And in that, for those four days, I had so much clarity on what I was doing and why, like, the Lord's way was just so much better for me. And it was part of protecting me. And Because I definitely had the idea that, like, the Lord's way of sexual purity was just to, like, beat women down and tell us that we're lesser than men or to, like, make us control our bodies in ways that men don't have to. And in those four days, I was like, oh, my gosh, Danielle, why were you not aware of this? Why weren't you getting it? Yeah. But the moment my period came, I just bounced right back. And I was like, no, nope, I'm fine. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of my first blip. Second one is after that instance and me and that guy just stopped um, being involved, I had a relationship for a little over a year with a guy. And it was a great relationship. It was not based on Christ at all. We just liked each other and were friends. Yeah. Um, and nothing really catastrophic happened in the relationship but, like, at the end of it, like, I was just, like, when it when it finally ended, I was crushed in a way I'd never experienced being crushed before. Um, and that's, like, the only way I could say it for, like, months. Like, I would just, like, yeah. sit in bed and just cry. And when I would go to work, I worked at a movie theater. And we'd be working, like, nine to five shifts. 
and you have like the front area of the box office where everyone can see you but there's a back area where no one can see you and I would just sit there and like cry it was just so terrible because I realized in that moment my identity was in that guy and how in that relationship so when you lost it it was like you lost all of who you were yeah like it was just like well this was what I was going for and that was terrible. And then at the end of that same year was actually the first time my grades had taken a big nosedive. And so I'm like wondering, am I going to be a doctor? Because this yeah. semester didn't go well. And I might not be able to get into medical school if this continues. And this relationship got like pulled out from under me. And it was a really surprising breakup too. He dumped me out of like, yeah, in yeah. a way that I was just like, what? I had no idea that was going to happen. Um, and so that was like really, really crushing. Um, and then like junior year... One, um, I guess, okay, um, junior year came around, and this is kind of the period where the, like, I'd had all these mini, like, experiences of clarity when bad things would happen, when grades wouldn't come back and whatnot, but what, like, really pulled me out of it was, um, junior year, I, like, met a guy that I thought was super cute. Yeah. Um, well, I guess combined, one of my best girlfriends told me she wanted to go to church with me, and I was like... Sure, whatever. I'll go to church with you. And whatever. at this point, you hadn't gone to church, but you No, were... I hadn't, but I was just like, sure, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> um, and then, but I met this guy who I thought was super cute, and um, I, like, started talking to him a little bit, and then he started talking, he was like, he loved the Lord, and he started talking to me about Jesus, and I was like, oh, my God, whatever, I'll just go with this. Um, and so I kind of, like, played the pretend I'm a Christian card just to, like, get on a date with him a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so he invited me to church. And, of course, like, a really cute guy that I want to date invites me to church. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go to church with you. <laughs> and then, like, that's kind of like, I, I mean, long story short, that was, like, literally the trajectory out of that. I remember the first time I went to church and just feeling something that I couldn't explain. And I just felt, like, so purposeful and home Yeah, that I wasn't, like, trying anymore. And um, how, do you see the, how do you see the difference in this purpose? You said purposeful. You felt purposeful. hmm how did you see feel, see the difference in your purpose now with your faith and then purpose before without it or without walking in it? Mm-hmm. Purpose before was, I mean, it was all, literally it was all me. It was me orchestrating what my goals were and then attaining those goals. Like it was all about what I wanted, what I felt for my life. And it really wasn't based off, of, I mean, I thought it was based off my six cardinal virtues, but <laughs> it really wasn't based off of anything Yeah. Like, solid or absolute because you'd always end up in a circle where what if I failed it then maybe I could either blame myself for setting the wrong boundary or I could blame myself for setting the wrong parameter or I could blame myself for not working hard enough I could always excuse myself too yeah like I could always just say well it wasn't my fault because of x y and z and so I ended up in this roundabout circle where there was really nothing happening right there was just nothing at all it's like in like Ecclesiastes always talks about things being meaningless in vain like that's what it is it's just like this circle of nothingness yeah um but now I really feel like like there like if you imagine like if you created a new invention you would obviously if I wanted to know what that invention is for I need to ask you about it yeah like clearly and that's how the Lord is with our lives I think like you have to be able to say like I was created by this entity and the best way for me to figure out who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing is to go back to the one who created it because if this like thing that you created tries to figure out itself it's just not really gonna work it's obvious yeah but like we have to remember that with our lives like I think I was talking to a woman at church who had her little like two-year-old son with her and her two-year-old son is like throwing a tantrum while she's trying to talk to me and he like wants to run really badly and she's like we don't run in the church that's not cool and he is screaming like mom I need to run 
Like and all was, kids do. Exactly. But one of the other great women at church, Heather, talked to me and she was like, isn't that how we are with God? Like, we think we know exactly what we need. That's like this two-year-old, two or three-year-old boy thinking he needs to run. And obviously he doesn't, but he can't see that. Yeah. But only his mom can see that because she's grown up enough and can understand that. And that's how the Lord is with us. It's like, we know what he knows what we actually need to live out our purpose and be successful. And if we try to do it on our own, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And now I have this bedrock of like, when things don't work out, I actually have a bedrock to look at and a manual to look at and say like, this is where I messed up. Or I can just also rest in the fact that like all the salvation is totally done for me. (laughs) And my job is just to glorify God. Like and I can grace. Yeah. And, and so when I do screw up, I'm not worried about condemnation because the Lord's freed me from that. But I also get to live this awesome life of just glorifying him and striving to glorify him in every way. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, you have hit the nail on the head with all of it. And I just think I'm just really encouraged by your honesty and the fact, which I think is not all people say is before it, it was, it wasn't even like you were living this miserable life. There was just, you just feel like there was something missing and it just wasn't as fulfilled. And there was a lack, a lack of purpose that was just going in circles and circles. And that for you, when you found faith, that you just felt this reason of why you were created Mm -hmm. and it just made more sense. And so that's, I mean, that's really cool just to hear you say that. Um, So thank you, Danielle. You are just full of all the, all the wisdoms. <laughs> this girl, you art, you articulate things so well, too. So I'm really happy for that. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask you two questions. Okay. They're fun questions. Um, first one, if you could go to lunch with anybody, who would it be and why? And it can literally be anyone, dead or alive, famous, not famous, mm-hmm. your neighbor, <laughs> whatever you want. So I'm going to choose my paternal grandmother um, who passed away when I was in the year 2007 so I was probably like 15 years old mm-hmm. um, her name is Hildred Bernice Sanders Ooh, <laughs> beautiful name I know I know um, and just because she was such like the way my dad and his siblings just talk about her like I want my kids to talk about me that mm-hmm. way I mean they she is so instrumental in their lives and it's not because she was perfect but she just loved them so much and even in her mistakes they knew she loved them and did everything for their flourishing and because she did pass away when I was 15 I did I luckily got to know her a lot better than my little brother did because he's six years younger than me um, and he doesn't remember her as much but I would love to like get to hear her insight on like things of life now yeah I get to hear them kind of through my dad and yeah. my uncle and whatnot but to hear and hear him it's like oh my gosh I wish I could have seen and known her that way to yeah. give me that type of advice but um, that's why like I would love to see and like get to ask her questions about what to do in this stage of life because so much of her instruction to me was to me as a little girl yeah um, and I'd love to just experience what that would have been like yeah that'd be awesome oh that'd be so sweet mm-hmm. I just love her name I know. No one ever called her Hildred, though. She just went by Bernice. That was kind of a more interesting name. Hildred. It was Hildred Bernice Watkins, and then Hildred Bernice, uh, I think, yeah, I knew her as Sanders. Yeah. Cool. Okay, my second question is an encouragement question, and I am a fan of the encouragement. I love Mm -hmm. it, and I love to give it, and I love seeing other people give it. So, if you can encourage anyone, it can be anyone, who would it be? So you're going to say their name and you are going to say the encouragement as if they're sitting across the room from you right now, like you're speaking to them. So say their name and then encourage them. Okay. Uh, This is to Jessica Haddish. 
Um, she's my high school best friend. I met her in, col- or in uh, marching band and in clinical rotations. Um, you are wonderful. And watching you go through these, like, the new steps in life where you have a little baby named Layla, you're putting yourself through nursing school, you're working two jobs in order to provide for this beautiful girl that God's given you. Um, one, I, I commend you so much for persevering because I know that, like, this was all, like, very much a surprise. And you've handled it with such grace when a lot of women would have given up at a lot of different points. Um, you knew that you couldn't get up and you were going to love your daughter. Um, I think you, like, it's amazing to watch you fight to keep, um, the, your, um, your boyfriend in her life. It's so great to watch you fight to keep Darius as a part of Layla's life. Um, it's also amazing to watch you keep, um, Rosemary and your mom and um, and your dad and Matthew all involved with Layla's life so you can keep this awesome family and I want you to know you're doing an amazing job even though you get sleepless nights and you're so tired and I couldn't imagine the life you're living (laughs) sometimes like you work so hard like people always tell me like oh you're in med school and your life is so hard and I'm like no (laughs) I have this amazing friend named Jessica who's like superwoman um, and just know that you are, like, showing, like, the Lord's love in so many ways to, like, me just watching your life through Facebook, to your daughter, to the family around you. Like, yeah. you're being a light for Christ because your love is so sacrificial. And you should, like, keep doing it. And I know it's hard, but it's so worth it. And you'll see the fruits of your labor years and years and years from now, and it's going to be amazing. Yay! Thank you for that. And Jessica, you seem awesome. I don't know you, but you seem great. Um, But Danielle, thank you so much for being on this episode. And sorry if you heard us chewing. We were eating watermelon. She has some good watermelon, so sorry about that. (laughs) Actually, I'm not sorry at all. Don't be sorry. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me.